from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report where we count down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. Um, I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell, and um, editor of the Wow Report, James St. James. That's me. Um, yes, James, how are you this week? I'm delightful, thank you. All right, let's get into the countdown. Number 10, Tom. Number 10. I apologize for the sound. It was an international edition of the Wow Report because Fenton and I are in the UK. James claims to be at home in Los Angeles, but you never know. Um, it's all green screen, baby. All green screen. My number 10 is is in praise of the movie Dear Evan Hansen. What? I was lucky enough to see it in a preview screening at the DGA with my friend Russell. And he asked me, this is my first theater experience since COVID. I wore a mask. He asked me like uh, at 620 and the screening started at 7. I just said yes. I, like many of you, had heard very mixed things. And the one thing that the internet, which is a monster of itself, the, the internet is ripping apart poor, uh, what's his name? Forgive me. Ben Platt. Yes, Ben Platt, for being way too old to play Dear Evan Hansen. The Rizzo Syndrome. He's 27. Exactly. I'll get to the Rizzo Syndrome in a moment. Now, here's my first thought. Well, let me just say, I saw it. It was delightful. I was moved by his voice, by his performance. There is a tiny bit of, you know, what do they call it when you have to, you know, just uh, suspension. CGI. Suspension of disbelief where you're going to have to, like, just sort of believe that everybody is. A couple of times. But as I said to some some beautiful HBO Max executives who are are taking this anti-Ben thing, I'm like, I will refuse to let people erase Stalker Channing's Rizzo in Greece. That's right. Stalker Channing was 33. And sometimes you have to be 33 to know what it feels like to be an 18-year-old high school slut. Am I right, James St. James? I, I'm with you on that. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. Although, to be fair, I think a lot of the, um, the, the cr- criticism of the movie seems to be that it doesn't transfer as well from the stage to the screen as something as, like Greece did. I will go out on a limb and say that I think the movie is more nuanced and more involving than the play was. And I saw the play. Here's the big headline. Ben Platt's performance as Evan Hansen and Dear Evan Hansen is a -a one-of-a-kind performance on Broadway. It is akin, I would imagine, because I'm not that old, James, to Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl. Like here's Laurette like, Taylor in the Glass Menagerie yes, in 1930. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. going to Hansen will live on beyond Platt. Other people have played it and will continue to, but no one embodied the part and invented the part like Ben Platt. And just the very fact that somebody had the money and the wherewithal to get that performance on film is a blessing to mankind for years to come. It's like Sarah Bernhardt playing Lady Ophelia. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking of Ali Nazimova playing Salome. There and she you was go. 45. And she was playing a teenage ingenue in the Dance of the Seven Veils, right? Well, there have been people playing, you know, 13-year-old Juliet well into their 50s and 60s. <laughs> so it, it's, it's something that has happened throughout history. 
but I was sitting there with my friend Russell, and I'll let you see it for yourself. And it, it, there are times when his voice and his singing, his performance was hard to put into words, but we were like moving in unison. Like it was like there was a strong wind or force of nature going through this theater, through the screen that just moved me so deeply. So don't listen to the haters. If you can get to the theater, go to a theater. If you can stream it, stream it. It eventually comes out, stream it. But Dear Evan Hansen is a beautiful, and it's just about loneliness and about people wanting to be heard and loved and understood. No, it's, it's the Tom Campbell story. Absolutely. <laughs> See, I'm that awful person who didn't like it when I saw the play. And so when, when everybody piled onto the movie, I was like, at last, people sort of see my point of view. <laughs> well, I, I will see it. And I'm going to see it just because of the one song. I, how does the, the one song, the, the, the big song that everybody sobs and cries and he spits all over the audience, how does that go? It goes amazingly. They've cut a few things out. In the, in the play, now, um, um, Amy Adams plays the mother plays one of the mothers. I'm not going to give any plot points. And uh, Janna Moore plays uh, Dear Evan Hansen's mother. And in the play, the emotional highlight to me was the mother song, the Julie, uh, the Dear Evan Hansen mother song, Big and Small. Oh my God, did I cry. In this movie, I have, I think they have um, brought out the drama so much more elegantly that it's not the emotional peak that, that, that Ben Platt gives us the emotional peak. Um, and, and the play, I'll just say about the musical um, um, Phantom, which I've seen twice, but I, I thought, you know, they made it very, him. A, he's a very unlikable, he does some very unlikable things um, that make you not like him, make it very uncomfortable to watch him. But it's sort of in the movie, maybe I'm just getting more, more, more or whatever, but it's like, we all do horrible things for good reasons. Not not because we're monsters, but because we're trying to navigate this world. And, and, Is there something you want to tell us, Tom? Are you trying to, to confess to something here? Um, James, it's really just between you and you and you and myself. So we will talk about it offline after the broadcast. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. Dear Evan Hansen is in theaters now. I'm very excited about this next number, James. Number nine. Number nine. I want to revisit Sunset Boulevard. Is this oh, okay. the movie? Yes. The original movie? Oh my God. Yes, like... yes. I, it was on TCM recently, Turner Classic Movies. And it's one of those movies that I've seen hundreds of times, literally, in my life. It was one of those movies that was pivotal in my 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 teen years. It like really meant something to me. But I don't think I've seen it in about 10 years, maybe 10 or 15 years. I haven't really sat down and watched it. And I sat down and watched it. it, it well, first of all, you know, it's the story of it's Gloria Swanson plays Over the Hill, forgotten film, silent film star Norma Desmond. And she takes in a screenwriter, William Holden, and sort of turns him into her gigolo as she's plotting her Hollywood comeback with Cecil B. DeMille. And it's you know, we know the movie. We we we've seen it a million times. And even if you've never seen it, you know the quotes. You know, you know the, the um this it, this I, it, it is big. This, I this still am big. It's the pictures that got small. It's the pictures that got yeah. small. And you know, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. Demille, and all that. Well, you know, interestingly, she wasn't the first choice to play to play Norma Desmond. Um, William Wilder, the director, wanted Mae West, and when he couldn't get Mae West, he went to uh. Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mary Pickford. And Mary Pickford said no. And then he went to Pola Negri and she said no. So he, she was like fourth or fifth down the line, but nobody else in the world could play Norma Desmond like her. Um, and then 
uh, um, uh, let me see. And, and you know, she was only 50 years old when she played, when she, she was like 49, when she started 50. So that's like that whole other weird thing, like that you could talk about for hours and hours now about like this woman who was playing this like vestige from an old, you know, an, another age. And she was like really in the prime of her life. And she was so beautiful. She really was very beautiful and very glamorous anyway. So for all these years, for the last 70 years, we've had drag queens doing Norma Desmond. We've had cartoons doing Norma Desmond. We've had Lucy doing Norma Desmond. We've had, you know, uh, you know, just people doing like parodies of yeah. Saturday Night Live. You just you see, you know, Carol Burnett, you know, all these things that we've seen. But when you actually watch it, it's not as camp and over the top as you've been led to believe that it's her performance is really nuanced and it's really like, you know, she's actually a person and you actually feel for this person and she does such a beautiful job and she really deserved that Oscar that she didn't get. And it's just funny to me to watch it, to see you expect, you know, all the, all the mannerisms are there and the, the rolling eyes and the big and the voice like this and the cigarette fun. Yes. That she's smoking from her pinky and she talks like this, everything, but she really did. It's, not the cartoon performance that you think it is it's really interesting to go back and watch it again has either of you watched it yes tom i watched it probably the same time you did on turner classic movies and i was blown away everything you're saying is absolutely correct yeah yeah and william holden who was not considered to be an much of an actor so handsome so good in the role and he just he falls into being the gigolo so it's like it, to the manner born he just loves it yes it, Fenton? Oh, yes i've been dying to speak i like it, it it's the movie that just shaped my life perhaps more than any other movie and in fact inspired me so much that when i was 12 i borrowed my dad's uh super 8 camera and with my best friend, we reenacted Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> and I was Norma Desmond. And I came through our living room curtains, and I was ready for my clothes up. And, <laughs> I, you know, I just, and I saw it again recently, and I just thought the way it begins with that funeral for a monkey, yes. that was like so dark and grotesque and just sort of just fantastic. And, and of course, Gloria Swanson was in some ways playing herself she did actually have a leopard skin lined rolls royce right yeah and who plays the butler i'm yes. uh von sternberg von, no um, von stroheim von stroheim so von stroheim playing the butler had been a director too yeah. so it was it was very close to real life you know it was and sort you, of the waxworks of buster keaton and, and anna nielsen and all the old uh, silent stars coming to play poker with her or whatever I have never seen, and I've always wanted to see, the opening of the film that was cut off where it's in a morgue and the dead bodies are talking. His, his William Holden, the, the original film originally began with his body in a morgue starting oh. to tell you the story. Well, no, um, he's in the pool. He's in the lying face down in the pool. Right, but there was another beginning and it would began oh, really? in the, with a talking corpse in the morgue, which would have oh. been... Maybe just too much. I don't know. But oh my God, what an amazing. One thing. last note, because I Googled about this too, not knowing you're talking about James, but the way they got that uh, shot of him from the bottom of the pool looking up at his dead face was they did it a million ways and it didn't work. And they finally put a mirror at the bottom of the pool and shot down through the mirror. Oh, I'll be dang. That's really fantastic. Yeah. yeah. 
And, you know, that shot right there is you see it in a million, you know, cartoons and it, that has been riffed on endlessly. It, there's so much about it that that you think, you know, but then you go back and you watch it and you just say, that's really spectacular. It really is. It's a classic for a reason. Sunset Boulevard is streaming on Amazon Prime Video, Hoopla, Criterion Channel, Paramount Plus, and Amazon Channel. So it's like if you've never watched screen. it, please do yourself a favor. Number eight. Number eight. Drag Race Italia. I was uh, last a few days ago in Rome um, on the set for Drag Race Italia. And of course, I can't really reveal very much, but it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Now, Drag Race Italia will be coming out later this year, and um, it's going to be in Italy on Discovery Plus, but everywhere else on WOW Presents Plus. And they have built a fantastic workroom. And they found that, you know, that sort of Italian sense of design is just, you know, they've, they've taken it and just whooshed. <laughs> and, and similarly, the queens, my gosh, they sort of come pre-built for drama. It's just, there's a lots of sort of shouting and yelling and they're all, out they're, they're and all Maria Callas and uh, <laughs> they're, uh, Anna Mignani. They're all. Uh, yes. And um, Priscilla is is the is the resident drag queen. She is actually a resident drag queen at Jackie O's in Mykonos, and she has come back from Mykonos. She's Italian and come back from Mykonos to do it. Uh, Tommaso Ziri is the most famous LGBT influencer in Italy, and Chiara Francini, um, fabulous, beautiful actress who kind of looks a little bit like Liza Minnelli. Um, and she's also a TV presenter and a writer. She's like sort of just multi-hyphenate. And it's it's just fantastic. And I was I was very lucky to be there for one of the episodes where they were doing the untucked. And it was just all kicking off. And um just very excited about it, really. Now, what I hear about the Italians is that they're they they have no sense of PC decorum like we have in America, and that they go off in ways that are that will be shocking to international viewers. That they are just unhinged and unplugged and just spark plugs. Well, you know, my Italian is. I don't speak a single word of Italian. I was just impressed by the delivery and the flow and the passion. No idea what they were saying. Um, but well, I guess I, what, I've heard, what I've heard is that if you thought the Australians were crazy, that you are going to be, your hair is going to be blown off by, by the Italians. <laughs> That's very funny. Well, All so right, we let's watch take... and learn. We can watch and learn as we go along. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a quick break. Um, I've just got to tell you that RuPaul's Drag Race UK premiered yesterday, and you can catch up on Wow Presents Plus here in the US and BBC Three in the UK. Um, and Blake, do you have a question for us? I do, I do. It's a birthday question. So, he's are been you thinking that it's your birthday coming up? <laughs> it is <laughs> Monday. Happy birthday! I'll attach my Amazon wish list. Um, this guy he's been known to judge people and at one time he may have been the world's most famous intern and today is his birthday who is he oh all right we'll have the answer for you right after the break you're listening to the wow report on radio andy you're listening to world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow 
Welcome back to the WOW Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Tom Campbell and Blake. Um, yeah, Blake, you had a question for us. I did. It's a birthday question. Today's his birthday. He's been known to be ju- he's been known to judge people, and he at one time may have been the world's most famous intern. Who is he? Can we all say it together. One, two, three. Ross Matthews. That's right. Happy birthday, Ross Matthews. Matthews. Yay! Judge of RuPaul's Drag Race and and broke onto the scene, I think, at the age of 19 as Jay Leno's intern on Tonight Show. Isn't that amazing? And has never looked better. He looks fantastic. And he's so happy with his fiance. It just seems like everything's coming up Ross right now. I'm very very happy for him. Yes. All right, let's carry on with our countdown. We've reached number seven. Number seven. Even though last week you had the whole Tammy Faye, the Eyes of Tammy Faye, you know, special on the WOW Report with movie stars and Randy Fenton, well-deserved. Blah, blah, blah. I think the world has been waiting for my review. That's, that's how big my ego is. James, have, you had, have you had a chance to see the movie yet? I have not. I'm excited to hear your review. Then you get to do it next week. Now, Fenton, you know I love you, and I really enjoy working for you and getting a paycheck from you. But, <laughs> but. I loved, loved, loved the movie. I was uh, fortunate enough to go to a screening in L.A. that had just wonderful accumulation of people and queer people. The House of Avalon was there. The House of Avalon are the creative people behind uh, Simone and Gigi Good's part of it. It's Marco. Monroe, it is uh, They're all from Arkansas. They've moved to yes. Los Angeles and they have taken over the scene yes. with their just stunning style. They're young and beautiful uh, and on the, you know, design for Lizzo and everybody out there. They uh, are, are um, Eyes of Tammy Day documentary junkies. I've been to their home and it's like covered in paraphernalia and they're from Arkansas. So they're from that part of the country and they loved it. Fenton, who is the name of the uh, man who had AIDS that Tammy Faye talked to. Steve, Steve Peters. Steve Pierce, was the reverend who Peters. Tammy Faye, the real Tammy Faye had on the show in the 80s discussing tolerance around HIV people, which just makes you cry thinking about, which is part of the documentary that Randy and Fenton made, that it, that scene is included with an actor and with Jessica Chastain in the in the movie and it's so moving well steve was there the night of the screening as well as i know he was in new york as well but just having him there that because he survived aids and that he was actually there and blessed by tammy faye and and vice versa it makes for amazing thing i i didn't know what to think i was worried what to think you know this movie is based very very closely in a good way on the documentary that randy fenton did their exact producers friend of mine coincidentally because the world works weird ways abe sylvia was just a dear friend of mine from 15 years ago when we used to all get together for a group that watched uh, project Romeo together through all the things he's now a writer and a director he wrote the script the eyes of tammy faye and so there's just all these people i had to make up lies to if i didn't like it but thankfully i loved it and you will hear it's jessica chastain's performance which does feel oscar winning hates to jinx it but good she, good good yes does a brilliant job it is so outside of who you think she is um the whole movie including her performance could be a caricature you know when you're dealing with a character as big and as broad and as crazy and as as kind of parodied as tammy faye 
you could outside the documentary, which showed her what she really is, you could be going afar. And I think this movie walks the line brilliantly, presenting the outrageousness and yet the heart and soul of them. And I I also have to say, who played Jim Baker, who is the wonderful actor Andrew Garfield, is remarkable. He's not going to get the same uh, remarks that it's not as shiny as a part, but grounds this movie and he grounds her performance. He grounds the relationship in one of the most unlikable characters that a movie could have. You know, Jim Baker doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities, but he makes him so human. And I, I was, you're reminded how Jim Baker was always crying on the show when he got arrested and, and the, the way he can play him and play his narcissism, but also his hurt. Anyway, I, I won't go on to say, I just think it was so good. Um, I was riveted every moment. My comparison for the, the people who don't even know the story, and you should, and you should see the documentary, which is on Wow Presents Plus, um, is it reminds me of the movie Judy, which was so central around uh, Renee Zellweger's performance, and it was a slice of the life. But I was riveted to both of them. I just remember being breathlessly engaged in the film from the moment it started to the moment it ended. And that does, I didn't even, you know, cynical me about, you know, movie structure and this and that and tropes. I didn't feel any of that. I was really in it and felt every minute of it. So, and, and, and Randy and Fenton, congratulations to you for keeping, it's Tammy Faye's story. It's her spirit that I think lasted all these years, but you were there at a pivotal time to help reframe her history and to make this moment happen. And everywhere I go in LA, there's an eyes of Tammy Faye poster. It's like we're being blessed by Tammy Faye wherever we go. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They really, Fox Searchlight are really getting behind the movie and the, there are posters everywhere. And that is such an exciting thing to see. And um, no, I got to tell you, I, James, I'm going to do number six. Number six. Tom, thank you so much. Um, you know, I've been like, I was lucky enough to go to the New York premiere and then uh, a, a London screening um, last night, as a matter of fact, here in London. And and Jessica was at both of them and she spoke and she spoke so eloquently. It was like really having watched the movie, just to hear her take on the whole part and how she did it and and her approach to the character was just so moving. Um, the, the, um, the host who was doing the Q&A last night in London, he said, I forgot you were in the movie. You know, because she's so good at playing this part. You never for once think you're watching an actress playing a part. And you're right. Andrew Garfield does have the less shiny part, but it this relationship between them is so layered and complex. And and I feel that, you know, in the story of Jim and Tammy, I, I think that ultimately Jim has gotten the less empathetic hearing. But I do think that Andrew presents... The, the human side of him and that there really is a human side to him. I, it, it's, it's, you're right. It's less sparkly than, than Tammy. Um, but, the, but Jessica also talked about, and this really got me, Jessica was talking about the New York premiere and saying what a sort of amazing outpouring of love it was. And there were drag queens there and it was a pink carpet and what have you. And Michael Muster was there, of course. And saying that, um, the thing about Tammy's makeup, that it was a mask, yes, but not a mask of disguise. It was really about revealing who she was. And that made me think of what Rue has said about drag, that it's not about hiding yourself. It's about revealing yourself. And that, that Tammy was someone who wore her heart on the outside. And that ultimately, and this was really interesting, she said that, you know, 
the very first scene of the film is a scene from the documentary where Tammy is about to get her photograph taken and the makeup artist is saying, can we just take off these lips and we'll take off this and then we'll start again. And the reason I think they started the movie with that scene is that it was so emblematic of how everyone was always convinced that there was another person behind the makeup, that the makeup was a disguise and that was somehow artificial. And that the reason Tammy, this really gets goosebumpy for me, the reason Tammy Faye tattooed it on was that so no one could force her or no one could take that away from her. And I just thought that was so insightful and so beautiful. Uh, sorry, Tom, you were about to ask something. No, just there's a quote that I, that I attribute to Rue. I think is his originally, he may be repeating it, but he says, the most powerful thing you can do is to become the image of your own imagination, which I think is a really loaded sentence. Exactly, exactly. And then an audience member asked her, Jessica, what she thought the legacy of Tammy Faye was, which I thought was a, re a really interesting question because we all know that televangelism is a very fraught subject. It's, it's one that evokes a lot of emotions in people um, and not a lot of sympathetic ones. She said, I think the legacy of Tammy is, is her children. And she talked about Jay, Jay Baker, who's a, a minister um, and does same-sex marriages and is a lovely, lovely guy. And also talked about Tammy Sue, her daughter, who is a singer and sings the song, one of my favorite Tammy Faye songs, Don't Give Up on the Brink of a Miracle, at, at the end of the film. And I just thought that was such a beautiful thing to say and such a true thing to say. And, uh, you know, there you go. <laughs> no, it's again, it's the message of we're all sinners. We're all messed up. We're all doing the wrong, making wrong choices for our whole lives. But love, as corny as this is, but love conquers all. That love makes things better. That there's re redemption and hope and love. They would say Jesus Christ, which is really powerful to a lot of people. But just that idea of love and redemption and 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 forgiveness and and renewal is so important for all of us. My favorite Tammy Faye saying, I think, of all of them is, "We're all just people made out of the same dirt, and God doesn't make any junk." I mean. You know, what can you do better than that? Amen. So that's uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It's in theaters now. So do, if you can, go see it. And it's great to see it with an audience, actually. And Jessica was very eloquent about how a group of people who have nothing in common, who don't even necessarily believe, you don't need to believe in Jesus or God or what have you, but can sense this sort of, this can feel this love and this sense of mm, togetherness, I think, from from watching the film, which was what she was trying to do through her through her televangelism and through her broadcasting. You know, she saw the camera as a way to connect with people. Anyway, so that's the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, James, number five. Number five. I want to talk about Days of Our Lives, which has gone off the rails. It's bananas. Um, Days of Our Lives is revisiting the Marlena Possessed by the Devil story from 25 years ago, which was a pivotal moment in soap opera history. What? Like, I, it was it was the only time I ever really watched soap operas was the one summer when she was possessed and Eileen Davidson played the twins, Kristen and Susan. 
Well, she Eileen Davidson ended up playing Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Eileen Davidson ended up playing 15 different parts on the show. She had 15 different roles that year. But that but that was 25 years ago. That was in the 90s and that was Marlena Mar, Dr. Marlena Evans and she Satan possessed her and she had glowing yellow eyes and she would levitate off the bed and she spoke in a voice like this and she killed the local priest and set the church on fire and it was just bananas. It was crazy and it lost millions of viewers at the time because people said it was just outrageous but then it gained millions more so it's always been this sort of like people do people love it or hate it so now 25 years later we have doug who is played by bill hayes who has been on the show since the 1960s he's 96 years old and he is still on the show and he still gets plot lines and he still has storylines and he still has he you know usually at that age they they wheel you out for for birthdays and funerals and whatever but he is on the show all the time god bless him well all of a sudden uh, he one day he locks his wife julie in the meat freezer at work, he owns a restaurant and he locks her in and he walks away. And everyone's like, what's going on? And then he starts forgetting names. And we think it's an Alzheimer's story. And we think that's where he's going. Well, he goes to see Marlene. Well, first of all, he's standing at the elevator and Jackie Harry is on the show now. Jackie Harry is absolutely fantastic. And he's talking to her and all of a sudden he grabs her ass. This 96-year-old man. And Jackie turns around and slaps him and says, Doug, did you just grab my fanny? And it's this whole big, and he sort of stands there smiling. And so he goes to see Marlena, who is the psychiatrist. And Marlena says, Doug, why did you lock your wife in the freezer? And all of a sudden he starts talking like this. And he says, the bitch had it coming. And he said, it was the most fun I've had all week. And she's like, what? And he, then all of a sudden his eyes start glowing yellow. And he says, Marlena, if you, it's been 25 years, if you think I didn't come back for you, you are wrong. <laughs> and all of a sudden he falls to the floor and he starts flopping around this 96 year old man and he's flopping around and he says i have to you know i've taken over doug and if you want me to get out of doug's body i go into you so now all of a sudden marlena is her eyes turn yellow and everywhere all around the the the, 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 uh, all the other characters are like did you just feel a chill (laughs) it looks like a storm is coming says everybody so that's how they have kicked off their october storyline and everybody seems to be involved and it's just absolutely magnificent and i'm having so much fun with it i think if you've never watched a soap opera before now is the time to join days of our lives well i really hope they get the devil out of her by christmas well they say it's a six month storyline it's gonna go on for six months but i just think i think it's god bless doug um bill hayes the the actor who plays doug who's 96 years old i want him to get a daytime emmy for it because i just you know when else is he ever gonna have a chance to get in yeah does the actress who plays doug's wife is that the same actress susan seaforth hayes and in real life they are married they got married in the 70s and they've been married for 50 years and they have been on the show together for 50 years as husband and wife two things i have to say quickly i'm sorry is that they were on the cover of time magazine about soap operas in the 70s which i knew about it and i remember my mother didn't watch many soap operas but sometimes when she ironed she did and i used to be her ironing for this is before i was in kindergarten and she watched days of her lives and i think doug susan safer was married to somebody else that character she had doug come over in the middle of the afternoon she put a record and they made love and i was hot and bothered like a boy. And she has been on the show since the first episode. So amazing. amazing. 
James, do you watch it every day at a certain time? Are you well? I DVR it. I DVR that, and I DVR General Hospital, and I do them every single day. Uh, so, oh, since since nineteen seventy five, I think is when I started. Wow, I have never watched Days of Our Lives. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. Now's well, the time. Now's the time to rejoin. Sounds like it. Yeah. Well, like I said, Decade Harry is on it now, and Marla Gibbs plays her mother. So it's like two two. What is it? What was two two seven? Two two seven. So it's a revisitation of two two seven, and they are hysterical. And there's hot guys and and Living <laughs> Color once did a parody of two two seven called two two ethnic, but that was their joke. <laughs> um, do you think you know Passions came out like right after that? The other oh yeah. Do you think that was kind of like a not a spinoff, but like because of the supernatural fans like and they did have many many supernatural they had hecuba they had tabitha and uh and dora on Mm -hmm. that show yeah timmy uh, and the orangutan nurse yes Uh, (laughs) a nurse an orangutan dressed in a nurse's outfit who was an actual nurse on the show Take that, Jimmy orangutan was a nurse? Yes. And they really didn't even like address it. It was just the, they would come in, they were a nurse, the orangutan would come in and give someone a thermometer and take their temperature and then walk off the set. <laughs> Watch Days of Our Lives daily on NBC. Check your local listings or you can stream it on Peacock. We're going to take a quick break. Um, just before we do, check out our brand new podcast about New York City nightlife in the 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond. It's Night Fever, hosted by James St. James. The first four episodes, Diane Brill, Michael Musto, Lisa Edelstein and Peter Gation, they're all out now wherever you podcast. And you can also watch on WOW Presents Plus. New episodes every Monday. James. Yeah, this this coming Monday we have Ernie Glam, uh, a club kid from way back in the day, and it's sort of a Michael Alec centric ec- episode. We talk about the the club kids. We've sort of gone from the '80s into the '90s is what we're doing, and it's just it's fascinating. And it's it's if you don't know anything, watch it, and if you do know anything, watch it. It's fabulous. And hopefully this will last as long as uh, Days of Our Lives. You'll be 97. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the devil made me do it. I think you might have to bring an orangutan out to, 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 for my part. Uh, I've got a question. question. I sure do. Um, not one, but two iconic 90s alternative rock albums were released on this day in 1991. Can you name the two bands who released iconic albums on this day in 1991? All right, it can take a shot. We'll give you the answer after the break. You're listening to Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hey, welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton, co-founder of World of Wonder, here with James St. James, the editor of the Wow Report, and our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. And Blake, of course, who asked us a very intriguing birthday question. Well, it's not a birthday. It was two album released. Two albums were released on this day. Two iconic alternative '90s albums on this day in 1991. Can you name the two bands who released these albums? Well, it's an album birthday. So I'm just yeah. Trying to recover my right, saving right. face. Nice yeah. try, Fenton. I'm going to say Nirvana and REM. Definitely Nirvana, think- right? Has to be Nirvana, Nirvana. and Pearl Jam. Uh, it's Nirvana and Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Yes, yes. What was the Nirvana one? 
Never Leap. mind. Oh, never mind. Oh, oh so yeah, the baby. Course. No, is that the, is that the one with the baby on the cover? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the baby that grew up and is suing. Not their yeah. debut, but their breakthrough. Right. Correct. Right. Smells like Teen Spirit. All right, we're counting down the top ten things this week that made us go wow, and we've reached number four. Number four. I want to plug a little project I've been blessed to be part of. And if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race and you watch this most recent RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, you saw that the final musical challenge uh, had uh, Tanya Tucker popping into the workroom and um, and and uh, singing and doing a duet with RuPaul that the Queens added their verses to. And it's called This Is Our Country. And what was released the week after Drag Race, rightly or wrongly for promotional reasons, was the actual duet between Tanya Tucker and RuPaul called This Is Our Country. Um, it's by, you know, Leland, Brett McLaughlin, Freddie Scott, Gabe Lopez did music on it. RuPaul helped write on it. And I got to help write some of the lyrics on the conception. And if I can tell you, and I'm a suck up, but two of my favorite artists in the world for two different total reasons are Tanya Tucker and RuPaul. And if you had told me in 1975 when I bought my first Tanya Tucker record, Lizzie and the Rain Man, that I would one day be writing a song that she would sing, helping to write that song, it would have blown me away. And if I'm, if you indulge me, I want you to play just a little bit of the verse and chorus of the amazing voices and blend of Tanya Tucker and RuPaul. Take a listen. This is our country. I, I, when a queen is queen, she don't need no cowboy. This is our country. Oh, oh, honey, I can be a queen or I can be a cowboy. They told me I was born too wild, but I was just a wild-eyed child. Things haven't changed that much. I can still shoot the killer, I can still land a punch. They made my daddy wait in line. He told me, son, don't waste your time. With nothing on me but my name, I dropped down, moved down, and did it my way. I can't tell this town is big enough for the both of us. This is our country. That's just a teaser, but I mean, it's such great. You know, it obviously plays a little bit of homage to Lil Nas X and Old Country Road, but it also talks about how Tanya, who I'll say it, I believe is a Republican. She has conservative values, but she's always, like Tanya Faye, she's always been there for gay people. She's always been open and surrounded herself. And she, in country music, is a rebel. She just won her first Grammys ever two years ago, working with Brandi Carlisle. And here's Rue, who came up by his bootstraps and has a career that nobody would have would have predicted or known has reached this far. And they have such a great mutual admiration for each other. And that the song came together. It's available for download, whatever, however you listen to music. But I think it's not a drag queen song. It is a great song. And it's about love and understanding. And, and, and there's a lyric we wrote, the, and it's so corny, but love ain't red, love ain't blue. Love fills the space between me and you. Love is the answer. Love always wins. Love has the power to be born again. And I love, once again, with the Tammy Famous, 
taking all that Jesus, all the stuff that's been used against us as queer people and embracing it that we all can benefit from love and unity and forgiveness. And love, you can strip out Jesus and you can strip out all the sort of religious trimmings, right? And just stick with the fundamental humanistic message. Yeah. So anyway, This Is Our Country by RuPaul and Cheney Tucker. Love for you to, if you want to listen to it or watch the whole uh, lyric video on WoW Christmas. All right, James, number three. Number three. Number three. This is a big one. There's breaking news about 90s supermodel Wind Evangelista that happened this week. Uh, The 56-year-old posted on Instagram the other day that she's been suffering in silence for the last five years and is finally speaking up. She writes, if you've ever wondered why I haven't been working while my contemporaries, Naomi, Cindy, Christy, you know, Nadja, they're all doing fantastic. Why she isn't, why she is, she says this because she has been brutally disfigured by something called cool sculpting procedure uh, and can't leave the house because she's so monstrous. She says she's developed paradoxal adiposy hyperplasia or PAH. And I'm of three minds about this. I'm going to say them very quickly and you guys uh, chime in. Number one, I feel very bad for because for somebody who has their whole life traded on their looks and been told they're beautiful and gotten their money from being beautiful to suddenly have that taken away from them. Um, you know, it's got to be traumatic for her and the trauma must be real. And I feel very badly for her, but on the other hand, uh, you know, yes, there are older models. There's Mae Musk, who is in her 70s, and Carmen Delor Fici, who is in her 80s and still modeling. But if you're in your 50s and 60s, for God's sakes, you know, maybe you have some other plans. And maybe you just sort of think it's nice when someone says you look pretty and wants you to be on a runway or what. But you don't put your whole life, you don't put all your eggs in your modeling basket in your 50s. I mean, develop some other part of your life. Go out and do something else. And it doesn't matter if in your if you're 60 years old and you aren't as beautiful as you were when you're 22. It's like just sort of accept that life changes and looks change and you get older and whatever. Just deal with it. And I feel bad for it. But on the other hand, it, she doesn't look that bad. She's sort of gotten, you know, she's a little chunkier. She doesn't have quite the same looks that she used to have. But it's no big deal. She's an icon. She's made her mark in the industry. Let it go, Linda. What was your number three? You said you had three things. But that's okay. You don't have to have three. Two well, I think you just need to stop obsessing about beauty as a culture altogether. I just think it's silly and whatever. Fenton, what do you think? Because I know you've been thinking about this too. I have to confess. I did cool sculpting on my tummy. Right. And it was agony. It was yes. so painful. And my stomach was numb for about a month. And and at the end of the month, when feeling returned to my middle-aged bulge, nothing had changed. So I'm very grateful in a way, because in this, this very rare condition, your tummy gets bigger. You know, the, the cool sculpting does the opposite of what it's supposed to do. And right. suddenly okay. fat cells double in size. Well, fortunately, in my case, that didn't happen, but they certainly didn't go away. And... I just feel terribly badly for her. I think it's... But how badly can you really feel for someone who, like, that their biggest problem in the world is that they have a pooch? I mean, like, whatever. I've got a pooch. You don't see me hiding at home. Tom Campbell. I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I grow older and ugly and lose these youthful looks that I've held on to. 
it, it, it will be much harder for you than for the rest of us because exactly. it's been so the second, I hope, I feel badly for her, and I hope that this uh, revelation that she's sharing with the public maybe makes her feel more comfortable about it, it and less shameful, and that she can just show her face and her body, and we can celebrate her for just being alive. We love Linda. We love her. She, like I said, she's made her mark. She doesn't need to prove anything. She doesn't need to walk runways at, you know, at 56. She can t- rest on her laurels, and we will love her forever. And my right. mom had the same thing done, and she said the exact same thing as you. Her stomach was numb for like a month, and then nothing changed. Well, okay. you know, interestingly, I saw there were pictures on National Enquirer or somebody ran pictures of Raquel Welch, and it said the first time the former sex kitten has been seen in three years, and, you know, time has taken its toll on this foot. Well, she's that 80-something-year-old woman. She's got a wig on and some red lipstick. She looks fabulous. But they're trying to shame her. And why do Your we Your only power in those circumstances is to not click on those links. Do not click. Yeah. But, 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 but also, like, why do we shame somebody for growing older and losing their looks? It's- because, James, we're in an age where the space-time continuum has been destroyed. And we're not supposed to age at all. Yeah, all that's true. Remain- and there are people out there like Rue and Tanya Tucker who look just as good as they did, you know, 20 years ago. And Madonna looks even younger than she ever did. Well, I don't know if we can go that far. A younger what? (laughs) We're moving on to number two. Number two. You know, we missed so much. I know we've been talking about Tammy Faye a lot last week. And so we we missed the Met Ball. We didn't really talk about that. We didn't talk about Lil Nas X at the Met Ball. We haven't talked about Lil Nas X's album. But in the course of this, I was thinking about fashion. And I stumbled across this book by Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem. It's his biography. Now, Dapper Dan grew up in poverty in, in, in Harlem, and he was a, a, a master gambler and a street hustler. But do you remember in the 80s, like Eric B. and Rakim and LL Cool J and Salt and Pepper, they wore those jackets. Oh, yeah. Covered from the store in up Louis there, yes. Logos and yes. Gucci logos and Chanel logos, but they were... They were obviously not by those fashion houses because they were so blingy and massive and brazen and just sort of fabulous. And I didn't realize, I only discovered that Dapper Dan was this guy up in Harlem. He wasn't, didn't go to fashion school. He wasn't a trained tailor. He can't sew. But he understood, I guess, how to take those high-end fashions. He saw people with like Louis Vuitton bags and realized the excitement they caused. And he started, the first thing he did is he went to Gucci on 57th Street and he bought garment bags that he then cut up and fashioned into. He got tailors to fashion them into these fabulous jackets. And he knew, he understood that rappers wanted the status symbol of these logos and brands, but they wanted them to look different than the the the, the sort High of fashion, the run- yes, the, the runway. Yeah. And he yeah. had a whole business. He opened a store. And it was really like, it was like urban couture. I um, actually went, I I went up to Dapper Dan's in the 80s or late 80s, I believe. And I had, I got a Louis Vuitton fisherman's vest that I loved more than life itself. It was so fantastic. And wherever I went, everyone went bananas for it. I remember very, yes, we the the trips up to Dapper Dan's. Well, he was like a prime mover in this sort of, (laughs) in this trend for logo, well, logo mania, but it's, it's more than a trend because it started in the eighties. It's still with us. Like 
Balenciaga, well, well now, of course, Gucci and Chanel and Balenciaga, they've, take, they've run with that logo idea. In fact, to such an extent that I think it was a few years ago now, three or four years ago, Alessandra Michel, the creative director of Gucci, paid an homage, uncredited initially, to Dapper Dan by doing one of his jackets in Gucci logos. And there was apparently there was a huge outcry on social media that, long story short, led to a partnership with Gucci. And Gucci have opened uptown in Harlem. There's a, there's a Dapper Dan Gucci atelier up in Harlem now. Isn't that amazing? It's just an amazing story to me. And, and um, this is a book that you read about him, or yes, what? It's called. It's his own biography. Is Dapper Dan made in Harlem? And of course, it, yes, it's being developed into a feature film. Um, I don't know. I've just read all this stuff about. I'm just fascinated by the way that I know James. You think fashion is over with and done with, but I just thought the Met Ball was so interesting this year because it was so diverse, and there were many, so many like. Whereas before it wouldn't street artists wouldn't have been welcome. Like now, it now it's every damn TikToker and every damn social media influence. It has no prestige, no <laughs> cachet. It ha- is nothing but nothing. But like you said, street people wandering off of Fifth Avenue in whatever bubble wrap garbage my bag they can fashion over my point urban. Is, my point is that actually. Fashion has been completely turned upside down and inside out. So if that's what you like, the design houses would trickle down. Now it's street trickling up. We have to take a break. (laughs) When we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go, wow. Wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. We're back. RuPaul's DragCon, by the way, is back May 13th, 14th, 15th of 2022. Get your tickets now. DragCon, three full days. RuPaul'sDragCon.com. I can't wait. <sighs> number one. What is number one this week? What made us go wow the mostest? Number one. A little tiny queer show called RuPaul's Drag Race. It started on Logo Television with a really tiny, tiny budget that was in danger of being canceled year after year for about eight years until it was moved to VH1 under the wise tutorship of Chris McCarthy has now uh, won for the fourth in a row best competition series. And our fearless leader and inspiration, RuPaul, has won a record number altogether as producer and host of RuPaul's Drag Race and a record number of 11 Emmy Awards, which we found out on Sunday night when the award was given for best show, which Rue got, uh, puts him at the most honored person of color uh, in the history of the Emmy Awards. And that's just, it's really humbling. It's really, um, I'm thrilled for Rue. I don't think any of us started, I know that none of us started off doing RuPaul's Drag Race thinking about Emmy Awards or any kind of attitudes. We just wanted to continue the story of drag and the story of, you know, as, as, as sort of mentored and, and, and seen through the career of RuPaul. Um, and it's just this momentous occasion, which uh, I may, maybe I made this analogy before, but I feel like 
we make the show because we'd love to make the show. We wouldn't make it if we still didn't laugh and love it and, and all that kind of stuff. But when you get an award like that, it feels like your mom took your favorite drawing and put it in the refrigerator. It's like you'd still <laughs> be drawing, you'd still be painting, you'd still be coloring because that's what you love to do as a kid. But it's just kind of nice when mom puts a couple magnets on it and <laughs> stick it in the refrigerator. And that's that's what I feel like this uh, this whole Emmy adventure has been like. Well, congratulations. It's been, it was fabulous to watch. I'm very excited. And it was, Rue is gracious as always and inspiring as always. Uh, and everyone looks fantastic uh, on stage. Simone and Gottmik and Michelle, just uh, really yeah. fantastic. So it's, it, it was a very exciting moment. And Rue was really gracious and just said, you know, to all those kids out there who, you know, he didn't say it this way, but all those kids were locked away in maybe closet or maybe, you know, in, in families that don't understand that it's like your tribe is here waiting for you. And there he yeah. is with got Mick and, and, you know, and Simone and, 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 and Michelle and just saying, we're waiting for you, you know, come to Mama Rue. And I think that is the power, you know, television is just television. It's just showbiz, it's a bunch of people with egos and want to be seen, but drag race is different because it lets people see that, that you're not alone, that we, there are queer people, that they thrive, that even with hardship, they, they survive. And then there's a place for them. And there's a place to be celebrated. Um, that's, that's a powerful message. And again, not necessarily, and I give it up to the world of wonder to Randy Fenton, who I always say, if you had, Randy Fenton had given you a business plan saying, this is world of wonder. We're going to pursue these kinds of shows with these kind of people. I would have said, thank you very much. I'm going to look elsewhere. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't logical it was passionate and it was it was a need to tell the stories of people uh whose stories were being told and and drag race is one of those opportunities and and um i don't mean to but sell you know them. you couldn't there could have been there was no master plan and there couldn't have been because it's really the talent of the queens it really is you know and i always i'm often reminded at times like this is something that james said that i feel actually is a theme of the show this week you know, got a hump on your yeah. back, throw a little glitter on it, honey, yeah. and go dancing. Because whatever it is you've got, amplify it, let it be your truth, whether it's Tammy Faye with the eyes or whether it's Linda Evangelista with all sorts of new limbs, thanks to cool sculpting, or whether it's the unbounded... Well, maybe, maybe Linda Evangelista needs to wear a bare midriff and throw some glitter on her stomach yeah, and go yeah, out and go belly dancing. And I always think at times like this, James, you in dressed as a size of pizza. It's always <laughs> one of my abiding inspirations. <laughs> well, now that's the kind of fashion I can get behind. There you go. Dapper <laughs> <laughs> right. James, you should open a store. <laughs> it is. And, and Drag Race is ultimately just this platform for amazing queens who keep challenging us, changing our minds, opening our eyes to tell their stories and it, it is it is they're the reason that drag race uh in, in some way will never grow old i think they'll always and you know it is it's just it is all sort of part of an ongoing expanding movement like you know as it, we're talking about gucci a little bit earlier and uh, and alessandro michelle the creative director he just recently announced all the clothes were no longer going to be gender defined as male or female they were all going to be just whoever wants to wear whatever they want to wear and i think that's that is a that also is a really positive message. So it all connects, right? Yes. Yes. Thanks for tuning. Yes, Tom. I said it all started with James, St. James's hump. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know. I need to take credit for all that. <laughs> Just one little hump. You know, <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the Wow Report on Radio Andy, Sirius XM. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. And thank you, Blake. Um, you can catch previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. And God willing, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow.